Well, good evening. I want to, to thank the church here on behalf of my family and, and all the believers in, in our church plant in Sapiranga. You guys have gone above and beyond. And uh, we've felt, felt your love and care in so many ways and uh, above, okay? <laughs> you guys have gone above and beyond, and we praise the Lord for that. So thank you very, very much. As we focus our attention on uh, a week of thanksgiving, and we know that every day of our lives should be filled with thanksgiving to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But during this time especially, we get to think about that. We get to slow down before life speeds up. And I think it's so important that we take time to slow down. We take time to meditate. We take time to think upon the treasures and the richness that we have because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the treasure that we have because of his word. I can testify personally, being on the mission field where a lot of times you may feel alone or you may feel like there aren't so many resources, I have the one resource that is most important, and that is the Word of God. And this has become a close companion to me. And I want to start with just a few questions, getting you to think about this. Where is your source of comfort in times that are difficult When you are thirsty, where do you go for a drink of water? How do you look for those who will work together with you, those who are companions for you? How do you know what to love? How do you know what to hate? How do you know what to oppose? How do you know what to stand up for? What is the inspiration for your songs? What is the wellspring of your life? And believe that the answer to that is... God's word, but not just God's word. It's who we encounter through his word. It's God's word. It is God, and he has chosen to reveal himself through his word. And so tonight, for a brief moment, I want to look at a portion of Psalm 119. A portion in Psalm 119 that has been a great encouragement to my own heart as a young missionary and someone who is still striving to be more like Christ, and I trust everyone here is on that same path and desires the same thing. We'll be in verses 97 to 104, but I want to give a brief introduction to this psalm, Psalm 119. It is the most comprehensive treatise on the Bible found within the Bible. We know it's an acrostic structure where it goes through the entire Hebrew alphabet, And it demonstrates the superlative nature of the topic being discussed here. Somewhat like the acrostic structure in Proverbs 31 shows the superlative nature of the virtuous woman. There's a sense in which just as the author has used every single letter of the Hebrew alphabet to instruct us concerning the word of God, so he has dealt completely and thoroughly with the subject before us this evening. Yet there is one question that, that, that grips me, and that is, what could motivate someone to write something like this? What motivates us to, to write something like this? I think the word is simple. It's a small word. It's love. It's love. 
Even though we are not given the author of this psalm, it is clear that it is someone who loved the word of God so much that he was compelled to declare it, to declare that love for the encouragement of all future generations, including you and me today. I think it's on purpose we don't know the author because I don't think the author would want to know that we know the author, right? He's so enamored with God and his word, I don't think he wants us to know who he is. He wants us to meditate on the word and on the God of the word. This is someone who was constantly in the word, the word was in him, one in whom the word penetrated deep into his life, his attitudes, his actions, his heart, his praise. It permeates every aspect of his being. And I think it's worth it to just take a moment and and take this in. Think about it. I'm not going to read the whole psalm. I'm going to pick verses from this psalm. And I want you to think about it and see how it impacts every single aspect of his life. And think about your life. Does the word of God permeate every aspect of your life as well? If we start in verse 1 of Psalm 119, it says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. There is blessing for those who are in the word of God. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How do we guard our hearts? How do we live pure lives according to God's word? Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. It is the source of our delight. It is something that we put in our minds and we don't let go. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. It is a passion, a consuming passion at all times to be in the word and to know the God of the word. Verse 22, take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. It is a source of security, of protection. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. This is where we come for godly counsel. Whenever I ask someone for advice, the first thing I want to hear are these are the scriptures that come to mind when you bring up that topic. Let's start there. Verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. God's word is our source of strength when our soul is melting away. Verse 30, I've chosen the way of faithfulness because I set your rules before me. You want the path of faithfulness, the way of faithfulness, it comes through the word of God. 35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. How do we overcome selfish gain, worthless things? We come to the word of God and we ask God to lead us in the path of righteousness. Verse 43, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. Where is your source of hope? Hope is in the word of God. Verse 50, this is my comfort and my affliction, that your promises gives me life. It's my source of comfort in times of affliction. 53, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. God's word will show me that which will create in me 
an indignation, a righteous indignation against that which is impure and that which is unholy and wicked. 54, your statutes have been my songs and the house of my sojourning, the inspiration of our songs. I love the songs here. We sing songs that come from Scripture that fill our hearts and minds with Scripture. 62, at midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. There's no limit to this. Even through the night, my heart is full of joy because of the word of God. 63, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. I come together with those who also love the word of God. Those are my friends. Those are my companions. Those who are ones who will walk beside me. Verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Even in the midst of trials and times of testing and affliction, I can know that it is good for me because the word tells me so. The word is a refining fire that purifies the dross out of my life. 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. It's more valuable than riches. This is the greatest treasure, the word of God. 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. It's our source of mercy When we need mercy and grace, we go before the throne of grace and by means of Christ and his word, we receive the mercy we need. 81, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word, where do we find salvation? It is through the word of God. 93, I will never forget your precepts for by them you give me Life. This is our source of life. 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. This is what is going to guide us. This is going to direct us throughout life. It is the lamp that we need in this dark world. 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. It's amazing. The word of God will endure forever and it is my heritage and it is the joy of my heart. 120, my fresh my flesh trembles for fear of you and I am afraid of your judgments. The word of God produces in us a holy fear and reverence for God. Sometimes we just need to come back to the word of God and be reminded that he is a God who is to be feared. I love the balance that is displayed throughout this psalm. 129, your testimonies are wonderful. They, therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. We need understanding. We are simple-minded. Where do we find understanding? We find it here in God's word. 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. It fills us with compassion. When's the last time you've wept over those who, do, who disregard the word of God? And you weep because you see the destruction that is impending for each one of those people. The word of God produces compassion in us. 138, you have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. Righteousness, faithfulness, it's here. 
It's in the word of God. 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night there that I may meditate on your promise. It's what I'm thinking about. It's what I want to do at all times throughout the day. 160, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Where do we go for truth? Truth is not relative. Truth is not subjective. Truth does not depend on my emotions. Truth does not depend on my feelings. I come to the word of God and I find truth that I can build my life upon. Verse 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. The victory, the spoil, the rejoicing. It's here. It's in the word. I found, I found the treasure. 165, great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Where's our source of peace in a turbulent world? full of traps and things that will make us stumble, great peace is given to those who love God's word. 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. They're the source of our deepest love and affection. And 172, my tongue will sing your word for all your commandments are right. Once again, our song and 175, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. It's my source of help. I come here to the word of God. And then I love verse 176. Because you would think that after you read this psalm, you think this guy is perfect. You think this guy has it all together. You think that he is number one who understands the word of God perfectly, who always goes to scripture, who's got scripture on his tongues. If you cut his skin, out comes scripture. You name it, it's him. And what does he say? This is how he finishes. I love the humility. I have gone astray like a sheep, like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. I love it. He says, even with all of this, O oh God, my heart is prone to wander. So seek after me, because I don't forget your word. So I ask you, how can you have so much love for God's word? Where does this come from? I want to live like this, don't you? Where does this come from? I believe his love for God's word comes from a deep love for God himself. I mean, this is simple, but it needs to be stated. We can't lose sight of this. He does not worship the Bible. He does not speak to the Bible in first person. Oh, Bible, you are my best friend. He does not say that. This is quite different. You know, I remember this one night, uh, my, my children spent a week with my parents, with their grandparents, and then they came back, and I'm walking down the hall, and one of my children, he'll be unnamed, and he was taking his shower, and I was listening. I was like, huh. It's like, oh, shower, I missed you. I love you, shower. You're the best shower in the world. I was like, are you, are you talking to the shower? Yeah, Dad, I am. Okay, that, that's not what's happening here. <laughs> He's talking to God. Don't miss that. This 
is an expression of worship to God about the word of God. His relationship with God drives his meditation upon God's word. And then, here's the cool thing, his meditation on God's word enriches his relationship with God. Is that not true? It's this beautiful cycle. And we get to enjoy that. So if we come to our text, Psalm 119, verses 97 to 104, this is the Mem stanza, letter M in Hebrew. I chose it because my name starts with it. No, it's not. It has nothing to do with that. Verse 97 is really an introduction to this stanza. And I just want to treat it like that, treat it as an introduction, and then I will expound on verses 98 to 104. But 97, here it is. A declaration of his love for God and his word. He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. God, I love your word. And so I meditate on it all the day. All the day. Now I must take a pause here and mention that the Eastern religions have caused us to maybe have a skewed understanding of meditation. And so I would like to just say this up front. While the Eastern religions will say that meditation is an emptying of yourself. It is where you sit there and you empty yourself of everything so that you can be nothing and then become one with everything. The biblical understanding of meditation is the exact opposite of that. The biblical understanding of meditation is that you fill yourself with something. And in this case, you fill yourself with the word of God. You occupy your mind with the word of God. I like to say that we don't have problem with meditating. We have problem with what we meditate on, (laughs) okay? None of us have a problem with thinking. We're thinking about stuff all day. The problem is training our minds to think on those things which are true and good and right that come from the word of God. And that should be our meditation all day. This is a verse that forces me to stop. There's such emotion here. There's so, so, so much affection for the word of God. There's such dedication to the word of God. It's his meditation all day long. It's what's constantly on his mind. And, and I'm afraid that when I look at my life, it just doesn't match up. I don't know about you. My affections seem to be divided. My, my thoughts are quickly dominated by my schedule or the cares of this world or relationships or work or sports. Divided affections, divided attention. And so I'm, I'm brought to question, could the psalmist be just speaking in hyperbolic language? I mean, he certainly loves the word of God, but isn't this just a little bit extreme? What would you do with such statements of affection and devotion? Will you write them off as unrealistic, as, as hyperbolic, as exaggeration, as someone who's just overly spiritual? How will you interpret them? How should we interpret them? I believe we interpret them at face value, that this is true, that this is absolutely true. 
These are true expressions of a genuine walk with God that is worthy of imitation. So in the text before us, the psalmist is going to give us two reasons why this is worthy of our attention. Why it's worth it to strive to have a deep relationship with God by means of his word. Two simple reasons of why the word of God should be our deepest receive our deepest gratitude and affection. The first, in verses 98 to 100, is that the word of God makes you wise. It makes us wise. And secondly, in verses 101 to 104, because it keeps us on the right path. The word of God makes us wise, and it keeps us on the right path. If you want to think of it differently, the word of God... Uh, we see its superlative wisdom, and then we see its sanctifying power in our lives. So I want to start here, and I'm going to read verses 98 to 104. I'll read 97, and we'll get the whole stanza, and then let's dig in. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. Oh, how sweet are your words to my taste. They're sweeter than honey to my mouth. And through your precepts, I get understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. God's word makes you wise. We should have a deep affection for the word of God because it imparts a superior wisdom into our lives. And the way the the psalmist conveys this is quite masterful. He compares divine wisdom that he has acquired from the word of God to that which he has found in the world around him. And he takes three different groups of people and he shows how the word of God is wiser than these three groups. And each group of people seems to be uh, more qualified, we could say, than the one before. And yet neither of these three comes even close to the wisdom that we gain from the word of God. Before we look at these three groups A brief word on what is wisdom, since we're talking about wisdom and imparting a superior wisdom. We know that in the book of Proverbs, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. We know that that's where it starts. But I would like to say that wisdom is the following progression. Wisdom is right thinking. So as you fear the Lord and you are taken to his word, the word of God will then transform our minds. Our minds will be renewed by the word of God. So we'll have right thinking. We'll think properly about ourselves, about God, and about the world. And then that right thinking, it can't stop there. It needs to lead to right believing. Based on a change in our thinking, we now establish biblical convictions, right beliefs. And we build our life on these right beliefs, on these convictions that come from Scripture. But it still doesn't stop there because then it needs to show itself in right living. You take those convictions and now you live them out with boldness and courage for the glory of Christ. So what's wisdom? If I could be real simple, it's right thinking that leads to right believing that results in right living. It's the whole package from start to finish. 
And we have that through the word of God. Now let's make these comparisons. First of all, the word of God makes us wiser than our enemies. Wiser than our enemies. Verse 98 says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. The first group is enemies. And we're not given details about these enemies. We don't see their identity. We don't know exactly who they are. But we know one thing. They actively oppose the psalmist. They're looking for ways to bring him down, whether that's physically or spiritually. And so by that, we can assume that their lives are characterized by lies and deceit. Their wisdom is a false wisdom. It comes from Satan himself, the father of lies. They're driven by bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, arrogance. And in imposing, opposing the psalmist, they're opposing the word of God. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. As we follow God and as we follow his word, we don't need to look for enemies. They will naturally arise because of their dislike for God and his word. So how is the psalmist to stand up against this kind of opposition? How are we to stand up against opposition that arises as we live lives of integrity before the Lord? How is the psalmist made wiser? It's certainly not by outsmarting them. It's not by entering into a logical debate with them. How is it? The verse says, For it is ever with me. For God's commandments are ever with me. God's word is ever with me. He has internalized the word of God. It is in him. It is part of him. It is who he is. In other words, he's living a life of integrity. From the inside out. The word of God is his protection. The word belongs to him. For me, this is a huge comfort. As we are in the world and we are interacting with people on a daily basis, and we don't know who is trying to take us down and who is actually a, a true friend. And that's why we can't play the game of trying to please people. Because when we play the game of trying to please people and appease people, at some point we lose track of what we've said or what we've done. And we've lost our focus on the word of God. And if we had just followed God and appeased God and feared God first and foremost above everything else, we wouldn't have to worry about it because the Bible never contradicts itself. So if I follow the Bible, I don't ever have to worry about contradicting myself or doing something that's bad or wrong. And so it is my greatest protection. And I look at the greatest example of integrity probably in the word of God, would be Daniel. He's known for his integrity, is he not? And you look at his life, and I'm amazed in Daniel chapter 6, when he is put into a position of authority by King Darius, and there is jealousy that takes place among the other leaders, and they're trying to take him down, and they're trying to find one thing against his character, and they can't find anything, nothing. They go through all the books, and Daniel has been serving various kings, right? We have the history of that in Daniel 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. They can't find anything. And so what do they do? They said, well, if we're going to do something, it has to be against his God. 
That's what we're talking about here. (laughs) His life is so filled with integrity in the word of God that they say the only thing we can do is if we put God against himself. That's a foolish idea. I think the sad thing of enemies to the word of God is they just don't know what they're doing. They haven't thought about this. When they searched all those records, they read about Daniel's boldness and courage in Daniel chapter 1. They read about his ability to interpret dreams and signs, chapter 2. They have read all this stuff, and they still have the audacity to say, we're going to just put God against him. And so they come up with a plan, and they decide that we're going to make prayer illegal. And their plan is to make King Darius God for a month. You know, usually we get like phone plans. Well, he got the God plan, God for a month. He was God for, supposed God for a month and became a fool in less than a day. But here's the thing. When that decree came out, what did Daniel do? He said, you know, I better think about this one. You know what's crazy? The Bible says that he immediately went and prayed. Immediately. That's what we're talking about. The greatest protection we have is obedience to the word of God. I don't care what gets thrown at us. The greatest protection we have is obedience to the word of God. What's going to protect us from the world? The word of God that makes us wiser than anyone that can rise up against God and his servants and his word. The next category after enemies is the teachers. If you look down at verse 99, it says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for, my, for your testimonies are my meditation. This one we can say, he is wiser or we are wiser than our educators. Wiser than the enemies, wiser than the educators. This is somewhat surprising. After all, a student, student sits under a teacher because he wants to learn. He wants to learn from his wisdom. Yet the psalmist says that he has more insight than all of them. Notice the superlative all. This is a very bold statement. He is firmly saying that because of his meditation upon the word of God, he is wiser than all of the teachers or educators. I believe the reason he can make this statement is because implied in this context, the teachers or the educators are unbelieving. They're natural, unregenerate individuals. And Psalm 14, 2 through 3 makes it clear that the natural man does not possess such insight and wisdom. The natural man is unable to transfer knowledge into wisdom. He can accumulate lots of facts, but possesses no frame of reference by which to interpret those facts. Even though the psalmist has received instruction from many teachers, he still maintains that the best guide to living is found only through constant meditation on God's word. I like to say that in this sense, as we are in the world and God has called us to be lights in the world, it is through the wisdom that we receive from the word of God that we're actually able to engage with the world. So that as our children go and they are learning things in school, we are responsible to teach them and show them how everything they learn 
should point back to God. And that there is a purpose behind everything. I know we are becoming more and more aware of how the school system is trying to actively go against everything in Scripture. And you guys are going to have a conference on it, Wide Awake. That's going to be important, very important. Because what's that going to do? It's going to help us know how to engage the world because we've meditated on Scripture and we are beginning to see the lies that are being taught to children from kindergarten and up. There is much knowledge to gain from people, even if they do not know Christ, but nothing infuses purpose and direction into one's life than the word of God. Nothing. Nothing compares to that. The word of God is what tells you why you do what you do. It tells you for who you do what you do. And it tells you where to find strength to do what you do. (laughs) The word of God gives us the framework. It gives us the worldview. It gives us the grid so that we actually understand how we are to live. And so the greatest teacher is going to be God himself by means of his word. The last group is the elders, or the aged. If you look at verse 100, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I believe of all of them, this is the most surprising. In general, those who are older are considered to be wiser. We see this exemplified in Job 32, 4, when Elihu waits all the way to the end to finally speak, and he says it's because he was younger and he was expecting the older people to be wiser, and then he spoke like a fool too. Throughout the scriptures, we read that the elders, they're the ones that make the decisions. They're sitting at the gates. They're settling disputes. They're witnessing transactions that are important. They're, They're offering advice. And so what in the world is the psalmist getting at here? I believe he is talking about experience. Because he says, I understand more than the aged. The age would be those who have lots of experience. But why do I understand more? Because I keep or I obey or I follow your word. The psalmist confidently asserts that experience in and of itself is not the best teacher. He makes this distinction between mere experience and a lifetime of obedience to God through his word in the midst of experience. And I've seen this principle played out many times. Experience alone is not the best teacher. If I could give one clear example, I have a friend and a pastor. He and his brother, during their teenage years, watched as their parents underwent a very terrible divorce. Both of them were greatly impacted by this experience. Both were hurt by it. And they both resolved at that moment to never allow the same thing to happen to themselves. Both committed to be faithful to their future spouses. And my friend's brother, who was a non-believer, made this resolution based upon life experience. Divorce was so painful, he knew personally the negative effects of it, and so he determined that he would not get divorced because he had felt the pain of it. My friend, a Christian, resolved to never get a divorce because the scriptures clearly teach that that is something God hates. 
As years passed, both got married, and sadly today, the brother who did not know Christ, who based his decision purely on experience, is divorced. And my friend continues married. Experience alone is not a solid enough foundation to build your life. Only the eternal word of God is. If you want experience, go to the Ancient of Days because he has more experience than every single person alive today. Experience is not the best teacher. God's word is. I've heard it said that to have much experience in a matter but not be taught in the word of God is just error grown old in a person's life. Even though the psalmist may be young, he still has more understanding than the aged who have much experience in life, but none in the word of God. I like to think of this as we are in this world. God's word and the wisdom we have from his word allows us to live in such a way that is out of this world. Because we get wisdom and knowledge and experience that's not limited to this world because it comes from God himself. And that's something worth building your life on. At this point, the psalmist moves on and now he'll give another reason and that is not only does the word of God make us wise, but the word of God keeps us on the right path. It keeps us on the right path. As we look at that, The psalmist chooses a new metaphor, and now he's going to use the metaphor of path or way. You'll see that word and that idea repeated in the final verses of the stanza. It's a a metaphor that's used throughout the Psalter. It begins the psalm in Psalm 1, the metaphor of the way. And here we're going to see the sanctifying power of God's word and how it impacts our lives and our day-to-day living. It brings about three actions And this is the first one, a relentless restraint, a relentless restraint. Look at verse 101. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. He has resolved to hold back his feet from every evil way in order that he might walk down the path of obedience to God's law. The word here translated as hold back literally means to restrict the movement of a thing or person. It integrates an interruption of that which naturally would be in progress. Think about that. We as fallen human beings are so prone to depravity that this is certainly a fitting word. Our natural progression is in the wrong way. And so we must restrain, we must hold back our feet so that they don't go down the way that would be natural to us. There is a deliberate holding of the feet, a resolve and a wisdom displayed here that is absolutely astounding. He has purposely avoided every evil path in order that he might keep God's word because why? He knows that sin breaks our fellowship with God. He knows that sin obscures our vision of God to the point that God becomes small and whatever that is becomes big. Sin takes our attention away from God and puts it on other things of less worth and sin hinders our walk with God. And so the idea is this, I'm so devoted to the word of God that I choose every path that I take with utmost care. I'm dedicated 
to walking in your ways so that I'm not even going to start down the path of sin. Sadly, sin in our lives always begins with a few small steps, does it not? Many times these steps are so subtle, so easy to explain away. Yet over time, they have disastrous consequences. And none of us are immune from this. We just take David's life as one example. May it be a warning to us. I remember this time in David's life where he's fleeing from Saul right early on when he's still young. He's, he's been anointed as king, but he's not king yet. And he's running for his life, and Saul is desperate to kill him, and Saul is chasing him all over the wilderness. And, and so David is hiding in and out of different caves, and there's this one incidence where David and his men are deep inside a cave, and who comes in? Saul comes in to relieve himself. And at that moment, David's men, they start talking to David and say, hey, this is the moment. Today is the day of victory. God has given our enemy into our hands. Let me go and kill Saul right now. And David says what? No, I will not lift my hand against God's anointed. But then David goes and he tiptoes over there and he cuts off just a little piece of his rope, just a little piece. And immediately, immediately, the Bible says that his conscience bothered him. That's an amazing, sensitive conscience. And then you fast forward to the height of his kingdom, When everything is going awesome. And then what does he do? Commits adultery and murder. And he doesn't even think about it. It doesn't bother him at all. Until God sends a prophet to him and says, You are the man in a bad way. (laughs) How do you get there? One step of compromise at a time. You can study that story on your own, but staying home from battle, wandering around on the rooftop, looking where he shouldn't look. Simple, small things that he did until he committed terrible sins that had consequences for the rest of his life and for his future descendants. Let us be like the psalmist who resolutely says, I have restrained my feet from every evil way in order that I might keep your word. Secondly, a singular focus, a relentless restraint, and now a singular focus. Verse 102 says, I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. For you have taught me. I do not turn aside. The action of turning aside was usually in reference to the people of Israel. It's actually their apostasy. Sadly, they were always turning aside. They were turning aside to idolatry. They were turning aside to look to the nations for help. And for this reason, to not turn aside is a way of affirming a person's steadfastness before the Lord. So in contrast to Israel, who's continually turned away from God, the psalmist has determined to not turn aside from God's word. Yet how is he able to remain faithful to the Lord? What holds him? What keeps him faithful? The answer is right there. It says, for you have taught me. 
The you here in verse 102 is emphatic. You could read it this way. You, you and none other has taught me. I love this. God teaches. I can remember like today, the first time where I read this verse and God opened my eyes. I was sitting in the library during seminary and I'm, I'm reading the Bible and, and I come to this verse and I've been spending so much time in commentaries and theology books and everything and I can't retain anything, <laughs> right? And it's like you yourself have taught me. And I began to realize when I'm in class, why am I not praying and asking God to impress these truths on my life and my heart? When I'm listening to a sermon, why am I not actively praying and asking God to impress these truths upon my heart? Because we're just messengers. As preachers, we, we expound upon the scriptures and God impresses these truths upon our hearts because when God does that, we never forget it. He puts it deep. And there can be no better teacher than God. And now under the new covenant, God himself dwells within us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. You remember this? The Bible is not a do-it-yourself manual that God passed on to mankind for him to use as best as he can. It's not. Rather, it is the means by which God himself wants to teach us. There is a supernatural aspect to this because the Holy Spirit uses the word and brings it to life into our hearts. So don't leave him out. If you leave him out, then this is just a textbook. This is just a manual. You won't understand So I ask you, do you sit at the feet of our divine teacher and master? Do you find nourishment for your soul on a daily basis? I know that for many of us, we are constantly in the word. Bible is part of the name of our church, right? It's what we're about. Yet, it's still possible to suffer from spiritual malnutrition. There are times where I felt like the Bible was a textbook or a counseling manual or a theology book or a ministry manual or a preaching book or even a motivational calendar, right? You pick it up and get a verse. And it can be these things, but most importantly, it is the place where we enjoy a deep relationship with God and we listen to him as he teaches us. And when God teaches us his truth, it will never be forgotten. It's no wonder that immediately the psalmist then explains, and I think he portrays in a beautiful way, the fellowship and the relationship that he has with God through his word and how he loves that time of intimacy with God by means of his word. He expresses praise and says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Honey would have been one of the most delicious, the sweetest flavors in biblical times. I think the picture could be this. It's, it's us walking around a dessert table and declaring the sweetness of each of those dishes. We'll get to do that tonight. 
But that's how he describes his relationship with God through his word, that as he's reading his word, it's like walking around that table and just enjoying the sweetness and the flavor and telling each other about it. This is the satisfaction that the psalmist receives from divine nourishment found in the word of God as he is taught by God. Such delight, such delight is an acquired taste, though. It takes some work. And the more we taste it, though, the more delightful it becomes. Finally, in verse 104, produces a holy hatred. A holy hatred. It says, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. I love how the psalmist begins with deep affection for God and his word, and he ends with deep hatred for every false way. This hatred is firmly grounded upon the understanding which the psalmist has gained from God's word. It, it, it's indicated by the conjunction here, therefore. There's a strong connection, and it must not be missed. First leads to the second. Our deep love for God's word and our understanding of his word leads to the second, which is the hatred of every false way. This leaves no room for complacency or indifference or I'm not sure where I want to land on this. So what then is the way of falsehood? What are we to hate? The word for falsehood is used of Words or activities that are false in the sense that they're groundless. They, they have no grounding. It's the word used for false prophets in Jeremiah 27. The people must understand that no matter how persuasive or logical or beautiful it may sound, if his words are not grounded in God's self-revelation through Scripture, then you throw them out. They're groundless. The word is also used of idols. Habakkuk 2.18, it describes idols as teachers of falsehood that provide empty promises. They give false hopes. We can't be indifferent about this stuff. I've watched this kind of stuff destroy the lives of people who heard the gospel. And they're taken away by this stuff. By falsehood. It's clear, every false way is in opposition to God. In whatever context, whatever circumstance, God's not going to condone it because he's the God of truth. He's the God of reality. He's the God of faithfulness. Therefore, we love the Lord and his word, and we hate these things that are false. Our fight against sin begins with loving God and his word. Love for God comes first. I really believe this. Love for God comes first, and then comes the hatred for every false way, the hatred for sin. The order is crucial. It, it, it's wrong for me to think, if I, if I just hate sin more, I, I just need to hate it more. Rather, I must think I need to love God's word more. Let me put it this way. If, if we're just trying to simply hate sin, it's like trying to scoop air out of a cup with our hands. And every time that our hand leaves the cup, the air returns. So what do we need to do? The only way to remove air from a cup is to fill it with water. And the same is true for our lives. If we want to 
have victory in our battle against sin, the way to remove sin is not just to simply hate sin, but it's to have an affection and a desire that is greater than that which is presented by that sin. And we fill our lives with the water of the word. And then there's no place for these alternate affections that are trying to drag us away from the one whom we truly love. Romans 13, 14 puts it this way, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no what? Provision for the flesh. In Christ we have the greatest reason to love the word of God for it is by means of the word who became flesh and dwelt among us that we are saved and that we are sanctified. It is by means of the written word that our eyes of faith have been opened to see Jesus as our all-sufficient Savior. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So in conclusion, we have hopefully been encouraged in our hearts and renewed in our love and gratitude for the word of God and for the God of the word. We have seen that it gives us wisdom, We've seen that it sanctifies us. And I pray that our love would increase day by day. The story is told of the poet and novelist Sir Walter Scott. He was on his deathbed, breathing his last few breaths, and he asked his son-in-law to bring him the book. Now, Sir Walter Scott had a very large library, and his son-in-law responded, Sir, which book, which book do you want? And the dying saint answered immediately, My son, there is just one book. Bring me the book. And at once he went and retrieved from the library the Bible. May we be people of the book, the one book. And may it be the object of our deepest undivided affection because we love God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word, and that through your word we know Jesus Christ and we know salvation. And through your word, we have life, we have reason to sing, we have hope, we have friends, we have family, we have love. God, may you stir within us a joy in the simple time of communion in your word. You and us being taught by the Ancient of Days himself. And we pray this in your name. Amen.